Hello, and welcome to the Movie Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll have a spoiler-filled discussion about a movie we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I'm joined by my sister Kay, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the SWAT movie from 2003. Now, this is based on the original SWAT series, obviously predates the current SWAT series that started in Mm. 2018, 2019, somewhere around there. Yeah, I'd say around 2019, because I want to say it's had four seasons. I thought we just finished the fifth. Oh, five seasons. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, maybe more like 2017. You're right. So, it's funny, because in the movie here, there was a short clip of somebody watching the original SWAT show. And some of the character names, Jim Street, Hondo, uh, Deacon, Chris, different last name, but some of them were very similar characters. Yes. Very much based on the original characters. Now, I don't know that I've ever watched the pilot or any, really, of the original SWAT series. But I find this property fascinating because the original series was done in a time when the concept of SWAT was fairly new and and not kind of a public part of the vernacular. Mm -hmm. Whereas the current SWAT is so, I don't say a commonplace term these days for the current series, but it's not uncommon for a company to put together a Tiger team or a SWAT team for a special project or that sort of a thing, and having adopted that kind of uh, terminology at least. And here in, in 2003, I mean, obviously SWAT had been around for many decades by that point, but it was still a different time than today. I wonder when we got to the point where every city of any notable size had a SWAT team. Great question. I don't know. I mean, this was obviously LAPD SWAT in all three incarnations, but it does make me wonder, one, how many cities currently have it? What size city does it get to the point where it's like, yes, at this point, you probably need one, unfortunately. And I don't even know where SWAT originated from, which city. It may have been LA. It may not have been. I just, I don't know. And then what the, the proliferation of to other mm-hmm. cities as it was seen to be effective and whatnot. I thought it originated in LA, but I, you know, that's more guess. And I, I would imagine it did. It yeah. seems like the kind of city that would need it. I know that we have a SWAT team here in Austin. And when you count us, kind of do the Metroplex approach to Austin with the nearest suburbs, then you get to a million people. Yeah, yeah. I think there comes a size of a city where you just need that sort of a thing for a variety of reasons. And that's that's a sad commentary on society. Well, but I remember when we were kids, it was kind of a, we live in a community. We don't have a SWAT team. It's the cities that now have to have the SWAT team. Yeah, suburb versus city life or whatever. Now, that I don't say that distinction is blurred, but again, when we've got major crimes and stuff happening in, in smaller cities and areas and stuff, it's, again, like I said, sad commentary. Now, what I found interesting in this movie was there were certain plot points that I'm familiar with because of the, the more recent SWAT series. Street getting kind of kicked out of SWAT, earning his way back, mm-hmm. things of that sort that I found familiar here. Mm-hmm. Chris being on SWAT and having a challenge because, well, she's a woman. Women shouldn't be on SWAT, which again is kind of archaic and whatnot, but still. So there were those things that, that resonated. 
but this felt like it's its own thing as much as anything else. And man, the number of familiar faces in this movie astounded me. Yes. And we're talking from woman in the alley on up and down. Yes. Well, voice on the TV on yeah. up and down. I yeah. mean, Alex Trebek was a newscaster voice at one point. Uh-huh. Octavia Spencer was uh, a woman across the street yelling at the cops for arresting another black man. I gotta say, when they go out over the radio of suspect is a black man in Lakers purple. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> that was a great one for me. Samuel L. Jackson plays Hondo. Mm-hmm. So we got Nick Fury there. We have Colin Farrell playing Jim Street. So that's uh, Bullseye from Daredevil, mm-hmm. that movie. We've got, who else do we have? Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner, uh, who played Gamble, uh, Street's ex-partner. So we got Hawkeye of the Avengers. We had Street's girlfriend, who was in all of like one scene, but talked about a few other times. Ashley Scott, who played Huntress from the Birds of Prey TV series, which was around 2003. This is from 2003. So I'm not sure if she did this before that, or if she did SWAT before Birds of Prey or vice versa. Either way, it's kind of funny because in Birds of Prey with her was Shamar Moore, who's Hondo in the current SWAT series. So that's kind of hilarious. And he played a cop in Birds of Prey. Yes, he played a cop in Birds of Prey. We had Reed Diamond as a would-be recruit for SWAT that didn't make the cut. But he did it so well. He's great. He was in Dollhouse. He was also in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. So he's got some geek cred in that respect. Well, and Franklin Bash. Yeah, well, and Franklin and Bash. I was thinking I mean, more comic well, related, but still, yeah. I agree. But just in terms of if you really want to see him sparkle and shine in comedic moments. Yeah, he's been in a number of things and it's just a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. And the guy who played the other member of the SWAT team that kind of betrays them, I'm pretty sure was one of the two anchors from Sports Night. Mm, the guy who played TJ. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and honestly, they they set TJ up fairly well mm-hmm. in terms of he's about appearances, he's competitive, he he doesn't trust people or I don't it wasn't say, a shock when he betrayed them. Well, I don't want to say he doesn't believe in loyalty, but he he believes people will betray at the drop of a hat. Yeah, yeah. And stuff. So when you get to the point where it's like, wait a second, he should have been in the room for the past minute, and he's walking in late. With a lame excuse. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. know, and honestly, in terms of the plot with the big bad... I think they did an awesome job of picking something timeless. They did. When you've got a a foreigner coming over and establishing himself as a a player in organized crime of some way, shape, or form, and then accidentally getting arrested because he's basically taken somebody's car that has a broken taillight, they can't identify who he is, his fingerprints don't match his passport, and his story just kind of spirals out of control until it's a, you know, get me out of here by any means necessary, including when he's getting taken into the holding center and stuff, and there's news media out there, and he's like, a hundred million for my release. And and then they show us all the footage of he's saying that, followed by, and this family's worth billions of dollars, i.e. he can pay it, folks. Yeah. Which struck me as just irresponsible journalism, but also so believable that that would have happened. Yes, exactly. And then that gets the, here's where everybody and their dog comes out of the woodwork to break him out to make the money. 
Well, and we see the coverage in multiple languages. Yes, yes. It was very much getting kind of international news, so all comers were, were involved. And there were some great action sequences. Yeah. You know, and a few things that were very Hollywood high action kind of stunts. Let's land the plane on a bridge, you know. And of course, Jay Evacone from Stargate uh, SG-1, and I th- think also maybe the movie, mm. was, was the pilot for that. So I thought that was kind of fun. Well, Samuel L. Jackson had a remark about watching whatever car chases show on TV. Oh, yeah. World's most dangerous police chases or something like that. Something like that. And what popped into my head was it would actually be a hilarious, not quite game show version of that kind of show where it's we're going to show you 10 outrageous car chases and you tell us which one is from a movie. I would think the giveaway on that would be the the angle of the, the shots. That and the quality of the footage. But, yeah, mean, yeah. Yeah, it's there were a couple of things. I mean, that whole sequence, taking down the plane, the plane landing, all of it, mm-hmm. very much was somebody, it's like, okay, here's our set piece. And it was good. It was well done. Yeah. But there were also a few aspects where, okay, before we get there, we've got to go have the in the sewer chase after we've had the subway chase, subway in LA. Okay, I know it. I guess it's really there, but it, it's something they go to a little too often. It's like you've got New York writers writing a story in L.A. Well, yeah, because, I mean, technically there is a subway of some degree in L.A., but of all the people I've ever known who lived in L.A., I don't think I've ever known anybody who wrote it. I don't know where it would... I mean, they, they showed Wilshire and a few other key places. One, it's underground in a city that's got earthquakes, so I think that's kind of silly. But two, to suggest that there's also then a sewer underneath the subway that has these big things that people can go do a chase in. Mm. Maybe it's all true. It just struck me as a little far-fetched. And I don't know, the whole thing was a little ridiculous. And then having apparently every cop in Los Angeles sent to an airport because they turned on their running lights and, oh, they're going to fly this guy out of the country that way. You know, it. there were one or two times where I thought some of the characters, it's like, really, do you think that's the best idea? Well, you fall for the decoy when you know that the bad guy has the help of two SWAT-trained officers. Yeah, yeah. Well, one who's a current member of the SWAT team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt the whole betrayal thing, again with Gamble, was, was telegraphed from the beginning. Yes. But, you know, what you going to do on that? You got to have somebody. It's either you set it up or you don't. And if you do, you either risk telegraphing it versus foreshadowing it, which you want to do, which is setting it up without being obvious about it, or you don't, and it comes out of nowhere later on. I think they were hoping that if they set Gamble up, then we wouldn't see TJ coming. Yeah, but they set TJ up as a definitely antagonist for Street. Yes. So I don't think they did that particularly well. And Boxer, I don't think we really got enough screen time or development with him for him to be much more than the other SWAT member. Boxer was meant to be kind of on par with TJ. The other SWAT member who was in SWAT when Street got knocked out, both of them were. But Boxer's the one who Street was dating his sister, so he's got that extra level of baggage with Street. He was the closest one to Luca out of the bunch from the current show. Yes, but then by the end of it, it's, you know, I dislike the guy she's dating even more than you, so you might as well give her a call. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was, that was the crux of the development of the character. Yeah, it was supposed to be, and so you've won him over. Yeah, 
So on the one hand, they wanted two sides of a coin with those two characters. On the other hand, in some respects, you could have just blended those two characters together. I think you needed somebody to get shot and wounded prior to the subway chase to add a little, you know, it's serious. It's personal now. You needed someone to get shot and wounded before we found TJ on the plane at the end, because that was the straw that broke the camel's back and had TJ... Going out the way he did. Yeah. 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 Resolving his betrayal the way he did. It was kind of a, he could have forgiven himself for being greedy and tanking his career and a lot of things, but getting a friend shot was that that one step too far. Well, and it gave TJ versus the the criminal guy whose name I don't even recall, because he was just the token bad guy. Frenchie. Um, well, they they call him Frenchie because he was, or Frog because he frog. was Frenchie or whatever. But it gave those two a, TJ can't shoot him because he's the promise of money. Yeah. So a certain, well, what you're going to do aspect, mm-hmm. which worked to a degree. I was still never satisfied with how and when Gamble partnered with TJ, set all this up, found the pilot and all of that. You're just supposed to go with it. And it, it, it's not like it's a major flaw of the film by any stretch. It's not. It's just one of those, it's like, that all fell together pretty quick, pretty easy. But there's an aspect of Gamble, who's probably one of the guys seeing it all on TV, putting his plan together, knowing Street wouldn't help him. But he also knew TJ. If we'd seen a shot of Gamble watching the footage. Yeah. And if we had seen either him calling TJ or TJ calling him. Yeah. That's all I needed. Yeah. I did find the SWAT training here different than we see in the current show. Mm-hmm. But again, 20-year difference makes sense. And just some of the tactics. There's always them going in on a single file line in the new show with the, the tapping on the back, give me two, give me two, all those kind of things yeah. that were just none of here. But we saw a fair amount of the training for the, this group here. What intrigued me about kind of the final test to see clear this course and you are a SWAT team was the... No sense of backup or a command center you're talking to. Yes. Well, and you're having the leader of the team not with the team during the training. Yeah. And having Hondo essentially as an ex-SWAT officer pulled back in Mm -hmm. gave him a lot more seniority versus being a peer with Deacon and and, and Luca on the show. And I don't know, it, it felt a little weird. Yeah. Not wrong or anything, but, you know... There's a getting the band back together, even though the band's never been together aspect. Yeah. So I, again, I liked the film. I thought it was fun. I liked the current show, I think, better. Mm-hmm. But part of it had a lot more time to get used to the characters. And there's a very different feel of movie action versus ongoing TV action. Definitely. Well, and I think the crimes they deal with on the show feel more what SWAT is called in for. Than this. I mean, this was a prisoner transfer. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think of the U.S. Marshals helping with prisoner transfers. Well, we've seen a few of those on the show, but I guess they had the Polish bomber or whatever mm-hmm. thing, which was the real SWAT mission they were on, which is just almost a token action scene to show that they're in the field. Well, and to show Street's creativity. Yeah, yeah. The I've got an idea mm-hmm. line, which is used a few times. I guess part of it, with a a movie like this, you've got less than two hours start to finish 
to establish the characters, assemble a team, build the team, get the team in a mission, and then have the here's what they're really here to do for the movie. Yeah. And that's a lot of ground to cover. Plus, you've got to set up the villain, you know, have a couple of subplots, a few things like that. Whereas we've had five seasons of the current TV show to build the characters, the relationships, you know, the tactics they use, all of those sorts of things. So it's, mm-hmm. it's very much an apples and oranges comparison there, I think. Yeah. And I do think that movie action sequences, particularly here, tended to be literally darker in terms mm. of low light, they're in the sewers, that sort of a thing. Versus TV tends to be a little brighter and, and clearly lit or more daytime, I guess, in yeah. some cases. But also I thought their van or whatever here, or their truck, huge compared to the, the, the Black Betty they've got in the show. Yeah, this seemed to be the 18-wheeler command center as opposed to the armored Black Betty. Did we ever get a look inside that vehicle? At the end, we see them at the front riding it. It's almost fire truckish in terms of the layout there. But the back of it and the equipment and stuff in it, I don't know that we ever really got a good look at. No, I don't. Well, we saw somewhere where they were looking at cameras that had been put into the... Uh, oh, with the bank scene? Yeah. The beginning? That would have been there. You're right. You're right. It just never felt like it was their headquarters or their armory or any of that. It was it was there, but we saw more from the outside than the inside. Yeah. Well, honestly, I think we spent more time seeing what ought to be in that truck when we were in the airplane seeing the mocked up dummy version of it. Yeah. Well, and the mocked up, the, the whole training thing with the airplane, that looked like it was an airplane graveyard kind of a thing. And I thought that was in Arizona, not California. I wasn't quite sure where they thought that was supposed to be, or where we should have thought that was supposed to be for LAPD to be training in. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was was interesting. The other thing is, after they've done that, and it's like, yep, we're officially going to be SWAT tomorrow, most of the team bows out early on drinks because, well, they've got family. Yeah. Chris has a daughter, but has a babysitter, so she and Street uh, spend a little more time together or whatnot, which gives us the chance to go bring Gamble back into the story. But I was never entirely clear what the family life was for the other half of the team. Hello, Cool J was Deacon. Mm-hmm. He had a wife and kids. We saw them at the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. We saw Boxer with his wife because uh, she was complaining, I thought you fixed the sink. Right, okay. And he was ignoring her to watch TV. Right, right. And then we saw TJ on the date ordering the expensive French champagne. Right, right. Which is when we were supposed to get the impression he likes expensive things, he likes appearances. Well, and that's, again, movie. You have a scene for each of those characters of maybe 30 seconds to a minute to set that up, Mm -hmm. versus we get to see that build over time in a TV show. Yeah. And really, we went through each of them once, and then the pagers went off, and each of them had to say goodbye. Yeah, yeah. And what I loved out of those sequences was actually Street at the birthday party for Chris's kid. And he's basically teaching the kids how to have a water gun fight with SWAT tactics. Yeah, I thought that was kind of hilarious. And that's, it's funny because they could have done that exact sort of a scene with Chris Alonzo's nieces or nephews or cousins or something like that in the show. Or with Deacon's kids. Yeah, uh, man, I don't know. Would Deacon allow the kids to have water guns? Hmm. Now there's an interesting question. And if he did, yeah. would Annie? But yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting comparing and contrasting different versions of the same property 
across decades, TV, movie, that kind of a thing. The other thing, and I was I was commenting to you is this movie was starting and we're getting what's evocative of the TV show theme song, which is just a classic theme song, that the reason we still get it in the, the current TV show, why we get credits for the current TV show versus just a, a title card of SWAT and boom into the story for literally that long, is because it's got an iconic yeah. theme music and such. And here, there were places it was evocative of, but the only place it came close to actually being used was at the bar after they're like celebrating of we're going to be SWAT, and they kind of do a acapella version almost. Yeah, they basically sing it. Yeah. There was a long driving scene where, again, it was very evocative of it, but wasn't quite the theme song. There were one or two places that I think, particularly in the action sequences there near the end, that they could have really used that to pull everything together. Mm-hmm. And there are other TV shows and movies even where they've, when they've got that signature tune, they're able to use it for, let's be a little melancholy, let's be a little, you know, suspenseful, let's be a little insightful. It's like Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. There was a point at which during certainly the Tenet era, and I think even the Matt Smith era, where the band would strike up and the doctor's going to go do the doctor thing. The plan's going to come together, he's going to go save the day. and Yeah. And if you've got the right person doing the score and stuff, it can be very moving and very yep here here we here we go you know you've you've hit the top of that roller coaster click 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 and now you're you're into the action mm-hmm. and they never kind of did that here Mm-mm. and again i felt they had the music to do that with they just didn't choose to use it yeah and they acknowledged it and stuff and i appreciate them acknowledging the old show without being overly beholden to it mm-hmm. and and again doing their own thing so again fun movie still prefer the the current TV show. I do think at some point it'd be worth maybe checking out the pilot or whatever of the original series mm-hmm. just to see what that would have been like. Because I'm not even, that was the 70s maybe? Yeah. 60s possibly. But that that's going to be a hugely different time and set of tools available, etc. compared to, again, 2003 or, you know, current day. Yeah. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.